with my co-host Andre. Radius of Reason is a podcast about basically everything and nothing at the same time. <laughs> that was a good attempt. We, we, we did as, as good of an attempt as possible in an intro. No, no, this is what it's about. We're not clipping this out. This is actually going into the episode. This is live. Shit. We got it. Let's rescue it. This is it. This is it. All right. We are here. It is a podcast about politics, current events, philosophy, philosophy, science, psychology, anthropology, evolutionary. Don't do the accent. Don't do the accent. That's not even an accent. I saw saw where you were going with that. That's raw emotion. This is <laughs> <laughs> welcome back to the radius of reason, everybody. Uh, we're gonna be breaking from our normal format this time around to spend some time discussing current events. Um, what are we starting off with? What have you been reading about lately? Uh, I, I read everything that you read because we are a monoculture. So here we go. Uh, Elon Musk Twitter buyout. Tell me, tell me what's going on here. Well, it looks like Elon Musk, as you said, is buying Twitter out. <laughs> right. Um, it's a self-evident. Self-evident. Yeah. Well, you know, there's been kind of a lot of, uh, I'd say, talk in the media and the headlines about um, these debates related to free speech, right? Where Elon Musk buying Twitter, some sides see it as the most disastrous thing that has ever happened to Western civilization. Others see it as a saving grace for rights to freedom of speech in this country why do people see it as such a such a terrible event you know that's actually kind of interesting you brought up a a good point when we were talking about this offline but it seems like a couple of months back elon musk was generally like seen as a savior by everybody oh he's getting us to mars oh he's gonna solve the climate crisis but i think it's something specifically about twitter as a platform him buying it is kind of unacceptable to certain circles because hold on why why did they villainize elon musk after you know viewing him as a sort of hero like what what happened to you know create this transformation to spark this transformation um it appears of on lead poisoning and, and the slow disintegration of everybody's brain cells that sounds about right. That sounds about right. Well, no, it, it, you know, in all seriousness, I, I think there is a fear that Elon's position he's taking on um, raising some of uh, Twitter's existing restrictions on, on, on free speech. You know, we, what we talked about in our first episode, right? Deplatforming individuals who spread misinformation, um, maybe flagging certain things as government associated media. So, so people have more of a balanced diet of information they take. I think there's a fear uh, on one side that Elon's ownership will bring about an end to some of these restrictions and barriers. Um, do you think realistically he's going to do that? Um, if the outcry is large enough, then Twitter's not going to make as much money, right? If, if, if users leave Twitter, then, I mean... This is a catastrophic investment, right? And Twitter's, you know, market share and market value is going to diminish significantly. Um, is he really going to make these massive changes? Like, is that really likely? I mean, if he lets Trump back on or something minor, I mean, yeah, people might throw a fit, but it's not really going to have a huge 
impact. Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, my guess is he's not gonna he's not gonna do a whole lot. I think he'll 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 loosen up some restrictions, but at the end of the day, like. I don't think it's going to make a huge difference. I yeah. think I, I think unless the entire capitalistic model changes, <laughs> the in, entire incentives of media change. Yeah. Like how how, how is it going to change, right? Like because in order for Twitter to compete um with other social media it has to make money and it makes money through ads, through people looking at ads, uh so your attention um the way to gain people's attention as as a platform is by constantly propping up. You know, it's what the algorithms do. They prop up the most outrageous or controversial topics, right? Um, and that's going to create, you know, the same issues that social media has been creating for a while, Um that's my take. I mean, I think you've kind of stumbled. I don't know if it's inadvertently or if you did this on purpose, but you kind of wandered into a pretty interesting scenario, right? Where you kind of identified the fact that profit is going to be the ultimate. That is a very loud mug. <laughs> Over. That's it. Cut. No, joking. Um, that pro- if profit is the ultimate driving force that keeps these organizations afloat, what's to, like, that, that kind of makes it very hard to take a stance on anything right and i'm not saying that elon musk's position is correct and you know i i think it it still remains to be seen exactly if this is going to be objectively a good or bad move but you kind of point out the fact that the bottom line is they have to make sure advertisers stay on their platform right that means they're not going to be able to go against the grain so to speak in any matter out of fear of losing exactly revenue so that's a pretty dangerous situation because let's say that the market willed that we start censoring certain groups of people. Let's say for whatever reason, you know, our capitalistic system determines that LGBTQ plus voices need to be silenced, right? Would Twitter silence those people if there was a risk of them losing money if they didn't follow suit with that? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So it's, no. the, it's the market willing into existence a a position so to speak which i think and, and it's yeah i mean it's kind of crazy because now uh what the market is willing is also determined by twitter to some extent to, to, to by twitter itself by mm-hmm. by these social media companies um these news outlets uh as well which is again incentivized by the capitalistic model for pure profit mm-hmm so you're kind of in this loop where they are dictating uh, the rules, the narratives, game, yeah. and yeah, I mean it, it's kind of a, a vicious cycle, I guess. Right, but uh, back to maybe the original point we we're discussing. It's also very interesting how overnight uh, Elon's kind of position within I don't know what is it called, like the zeitgeist, has, has totally changed. Right now, he's kind of seen as this sort of nefarious kind of bumbling individual that that's getting in the way of um i I guess what he's getting you know that's the interesting thing about this issue i think both sides of the argument are trying to make a claim towards some higher ideal right and it seems like free speech is being argued by both sides like one is saying that 
I, I guess maybe it's the definition of how free speech should be enforced and whatnot. Um, but yeah, I mean, the second he made the announcement that he's going to buy this platform, now all of a sudden he, he's become like well, I a think hated he was, figure. Well, I think he was even villainized beforehand to some extent. Um, it seems like it's gone through the roof now. I think, you know, with with COVID, he had some takes on COVID that right. was sort of controversial. Maybe it was, you know, forcing his employees to work, you know, during, uh, um, during the pandemic. I don't know. I mean... Uh, Look, Elon is by no stretch uh, a perfect guy. Um, It just seems a little strange from my point of view. And maybe I'm just completely ignorant or I haven't really um, been um, kind of staying on top of things in terms of the news on him. But it seems like a a relatively speaking, an overnight shift in in how he's viewed. Right. And I think the most very, very strange. Right. The most irritating thing about this to me is that this is the issue that, ultimately speaking, leads people to change their opinion about Elon Musk. There is a multitude of other things in his background that should have been causing outrage and should have been causing this sort of like, oh my gosh, we need to challenge Elon Musk types of approaches, right? I mean, first and foremost, a couple, maybe months back, maybe almost over a year ago at this point, I lost track of time, you know, it's the pandemic, but there's the ProPublica investigation over how what systems billionaires use to avoid paying taxes, right? And Elon Musk, along with Warren Buffett, Jeff Bezos, and I can't remember the other individual they profiled, but was ba- they were basically using these individuals as showpieces for how they dodge taxes, right? And I think the model they used is where they essentially uh, borrow money against their, their total equity that they have, and then they don't actually have to pay taxes on it because they're not withdrawing, uh, you know, they're not selling any stock, they're not withdrawing any actual money. So... You know, there, there's documented evidence that Elon Musk doesn't pay his fair share in taxes, right? There's all of the problematic nonsense that he does in terms of market manipulation that the SEC's on his ass about, you know, for, for making certain claims about what Tesla can and can't do, or maybe, you know, tweeting certain things that force Tesla's stock to go up, right? You know, th- there's also his family history of, you know, they're an apartheid era mining family, right, in, in South Africa. So all of these things have existed in his background this entire time. We've known exactly who he is, and nobody gave a shit. And then he tries to go by Twitter. Now the outrage machine is starting up. And that, to me, is a little bit frustrating to see unfold. Well, it's indicative of kind of like, um, again, the narratives that are either unfolding due to the nature of like social media algorithms online or, or... you know, whether news outlets are like specifically dictating some of these narratives. Um, yeah. Like why certain pieces of, you know, inform- information about his background weren't revealed earlier on and now they are. And yeah, I, I don't know. It's uh it's interesting, but yeah, it just says a lot about the current environment, I which think. I think that this isn't really about morality or principle or whatever they're making it out to be. I, I think this is just it's well, an outrage machine. Well, we're right? also always, I mean, to some extent, we're always dealing with incomplete information. Um, and that's why being too convinced of something, being too committed to certain kind of views or ideas, it's really just like, it's a natural thing for humans, right? Mm-hmm. Because it shows like confidence. It shows like, oh, this guy uh, knows what he's talking about. It gives you 
kind of a, a social benefit in terms of like status even. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is toxic, really. It's, it's, a, it's a toxic way to go about things because it's, it's in some sense it's delusional because you think you know more than you do. You're always dealing with incomplete information. And so you have to humble yourself and know that uh, you could easily be wrong. And that's certainly not something in our society that's viewed, um, not just in our society, in general among humans, it's not something that's viewed favorably. Someone who's who's kind of like timid in terms of what they're saying, like, mm-hmm. well, you know, maybe it's this or that. Like, no, like no one's listening to that person. I mean... I'm saying this and I still listen to people that speak, you know, it's more appealing to listen to people that speak confidently to speak like they know exactly what they're talking about to speak. Like they have the complete picture, the the antithesis of of who we are as podcast. Exactly. I mean, you can say that about us. Yeah. Yeah. But you, I mean, I feel like you always have to keep that in mind and yeah, I mean, it's, it's just not, again, it's just not part of human culture. So what what do you think, you know, now that, you know, it, it was announced that Twitter's accepted his offer and it looks like this deal is going to go through. I mean, do you think that what, what do you feel is going to be in hold for the future for Twitter as a platform? Do you actually feel like users are going to start dropping off? I mean, are, are there committed enough individuals who will tweet outrage at elon musk buying twitter and then actually go and delete their accounts afterwards i mean it's going to take a lot to yeah for the user base to be significantly reduced Mm -hmm. um he would have to do something really ridiculous i think it's gonna i think there's gonna be maybe some minor adjustments but for the most part things are gonna just stay the same you think he's gonna bring back trump uh i i don't know he may I, I honestly I, I don't think it's gonna matter too much. Mm-hmm. Trump's still in the news constantly. Right. Um rent free, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean I, I think he's you know, a total piece of shit that shouldn't have like in a perfect world he doesn't have a single platform. He's rotting in a prison, in my opinion. Like that that's what should be happening. Some some complete this guy's a complete cancer to society in my opinion. And you know, I mean again, like I'm I'm pretty you know, you could say I'm biased against Trump, but like, I don't know. He's he's proven to be quite a quite a asshole. But um, I mean, there's plenty of other people that would fall into that category. But he's definitely like he's he's most um, vocal about his uh, shitty views, and I, I don't know. It's just it's just toxic all around. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I don't want to beat a dead horse here. You know, I think I could hear. Our Republican subscriber base just just oh wait no we didn't have any no subscribers <laughs> I guess we can't we don't have anything to lose at this time wonderful my bad Subscri- subscribers Subscri- subscriber subscriber <laughs> please potential subscriber come back okay we love you Trump yeah so moving on to other pieces of news in this current events roundup episode <laughs> sponsored by animal crackers from costco kirkland animal crackers uh johnny Depp. <laughs> oh shit we're gonna go there no no we're gonna talk about the uh abortion thing that just happened well, maybe maybe to to round out 
there was a leak uh, from the De- uh, Department of Justice from the Supreme Court um, a few days back. We got to start organizing these dates a little bit better. Really shooting from the hip here. That's fine. It's fine in the future. Anyways, there, there's a, a leak came out of the Supreme Court indicating that there might be a majority opinion forming um, that, that could jeopardize uh, the continued existence of Roe v. Wade um, and protection of uh, reproductive rights across the country at a federal level. Um, obviously, this has been a really hot issue ever since the, the, the Trump presidency. Um, for four years, it seems like uh, a lot of clinics where we live were, were shut down. Um, and there was a constant narrative that, hey, this is something that's going to happen. And it looks like um, it's in motion. I don't think there's been a formal ruling yet. I haven't brushed up on the, the latest reporting on it today. Um, but what are your thoughts, Devon? Are, are you surprised this is happening? Are you shocked that this kind of position is actually being taken by the Supreme Court? I mean, we shouldn't be because Trump appointed three judges. Um, for everyone that said he was the same as Hillary or the Democrats and Republicans are the same. Looking at you, Andre. Piercing brown (laughs) eyes. I mean, there's clearly a lot of overlap between the political parties, between a lot of the corruption that occurs in Washington, etc. But there are some tangible differences. And this is one example. Like, this is what you get when you elect crazy Republicans. And not all Republicans... Or not all like Republicans aren't crazy by necessity, by you know, it's not necessitated necessarily by a conservative conservative ideology. Mm-hmm. It's just the current set of Republicans that we have, mm-hmm. in my opinion, are a bit deranged or have just completely fallen into religious nuttery, et cetera. Uh, I mean, some of them aren't actually religious. They just, you know, use religious people. Uh, As cudgels, yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah, I mean, I, I shouldn't be surprised. Um, I'm not that surprised it's happened, honestly. Uh, I think it's, I mean, it's a step backward. There's there's no question about it. Like, to, to me, it's so obvious that this right belongs to the mother, right? Right. Well, that's it. You know, it's end it, of story. It, like, and I think it's kind of interesting because a lot of the arguments, um, I guess against abortion are seemingly grounded in an argument of morality, right? Human life is sacred. Therefore we can't be performing abortions. But I think that the lack, really the arguments are lack substance because we, there is an abundance of evidence to suggest that we don't actually care about human life, especially if anti-abortion voices are almost in unison denying universal health care or public free public education. So it really seems like the claim is made that every life is sacred, but then once the life is, is produced, once a child is born, nobody gives a shit anymore. Right. And I could almost like, you know, I I do not support. um, Why doesn't the fetus pull itself up by its bootstraps and avoid getting aborted? By its little little fetus straps, yeah. (laughs) But what I was going to say is that I don't support this move at all. I think it's absolutely terrible and damaging to everybody's liberties, including men. Um, 
And maybe there'd be more substance to this argument if, in addition to banning abortions, you also provided everything that that's feasible to sustain raising a life in today's day and age, right? So, okay, fine, you're going to ban abortions, but also introduce you know, universal parental leave, introduce paid education for children, completely financed and subsidized, you know, after school care programs, daycare, right? It, but at this point, you're going to try to ban abortions, but then every parent's objectively fucked when they actually have to raise the kid, you know? Yeah, it, it, it's, it, I mean, think about it this way. If the mother wants to abort, like, why do you want, like, why do you as a society want, you know, the kid to be born when the mother has decided it wants to abort? When the mother is basically saying, like, yeah, I don't want to, you know, for whatever reason, like, mm -hmm. they don't, like, why would the society want that? Well, if you the, can you can make an argument, I get, and this isn't, you know, let's look at places like Russia or I don't know, like, what Armenia's demographics are. Uh, are dealing with, but a lot of post-Soviet states are experiencing net population declines, right? In theory, you can make the argument that, okay, we need to maximize uh, reproduction of our population. I, I don't know like what I'm saying with that, but, um, again, but again, like the argument that we're banning abortions because we want to increase birth rates in our country that's also not valid because it again, again rubs up against the fact that you're not making it easy for people to have children. I mean, think about how many people in like the millennial slash like Gen Z circle are, I guess Gen Z, no, Gen Zers are able to have kids now, right? Yeah, getting old. Um, but how many people are choosing not to have children because they're overburdened by student debt or because they can't afford paying for, yeah, you, for you're, you're, you're saying there's much better ways to go about trying to increase right. the reproduction right. rate. Right. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe organize a framework for society in which somebody will not choose to abort a child. And again, like this is the most maybe toxic element of this whole argument is the fact that just because abortions are available, it doesn't mean they're being forced on anybody. It just means a choice is there, right? It means that if you should choose for whatever, as you pointed out, for whatever rationale you have, you can get an abortion. But it's not being forced on anybody. And I think that if you were truly, quote unquote, pro-life, you would organize policy in a way that abortions wouldn't even be necessary. Right. Because if everything's exactly. taken care of. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, someone getting an abortion means things did not go as, to plan. as planned. Yeah. And so. to your point, you know, the question of why, you know, why would you try to ban this? I think it really just comes down to control. It doesn't really matter if it's you, life or you, death. So when you say control, I mean, you're talking about political control. Um, yeah. Is it politicians on the right trying to appease religious voters? Like, what? what is driving this? Look, and, and I, I think you had a valid point earlier about this being a key differentiator between left and right. But I will point out that we've had, what, two years of the Biden presidency now? The control executive... They control both branches of Congress. They could have codified Roe v. Wade as legislation by this point, but they didn't. And so are they, I think, is that malicious or is that incompetence? I think, they just like, don't, I, I think they just don't give a shit. And I think this kind of ultimately speaking, this issue, issue rubs up fair enough. against yeah. a greater conversation around how we view class in our society, right? Because if you're, I mean, we've talked about this before off mic, but you know, it's not an accident that every single person sitting in Congress is probably has a net worth over what you and I combined probably have. 
I think if you're wealthy, <laughs> me and you combined, yeah. probably like a hundred X. Well, I have a very high esteem of, of, of your financial stat. No, you're, you're, you're misguided. Uh, yeah. Um, so anybody of a certain stat, like socioeconomic status, they are going to be able to get an abortion regardless if it's illegal or not illegal in this country. You know, you could fly your mistress to Canada or to Europe. So ultimately speaking, this comes down to oppressing people who are going to be most at risk of being negatively impacted by this sort of policy. Yeah, yeah. And you're contributing to kind of, again, just poor social outcomes for for the people that are in the worst positions socially, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you're just making it worse and worse. I mean, it's it's really a disastrous decision. I think we, you know, maybe said everything we need to so far on, on, on that subject. Maybe we can circle back to it at some point, dedicate an entire episode to abortion because that hasn't been discussed enough right. these days. But uh, moving on, um, to circle back to kind of our first point regarding um, Elon Musk's buyout of Twitter and just how that relates to news media in general mm-hmm. and how we get information. Right. I, I want to ask a uh, broader question about if there's a, if there's any potential for us to construct news media within capitalistic societies in a way that is not toxic for society uh, and what I mean by that is not incentivized by profit, because if if you think about it, like profit, if that's your main motive, then your main motive by definition isn't uh, the well-being of the society, the, right. the, the, the best kind of um, the best way to distribute the information, the best way to present the information, right? It's. It's about how do I present this information to gain the biggest audience and to gain, you know, the highest ad revenue right. possible. Like if is so so long as we live in a capitalistic system and news media is incentivized purely by profit, is there a way that we can have news media that isn't as polarizing, that isn't as toxic? I guess, like, what's, what's the alternative, right? If it's state-controlled media, what's the incentive there? What's the incentive to... I mean, if truth is sacrificed for the sake of profit in a capitalist-driven environment for media production, what is it under state control, right? Is there... Is it possible to maintain impartiality if your major source of funding is coming from the government? Would you criticize the government? Would you... So the BBC is an example. Uh, BBC is a shit show. Yeah. I mean, but is it worse than CNN or Fox News? It's probably the same quality. <laughs> I mean, objectively speaking, I think, and this is something that I, I, I talk to other people about a lot. I don't think any news outlet is objectively bad. You know, there's probably some that produce more relevant investigations and spend more time actually like, investing into quality reporting but every news outlet puts out good stuff at some point right i mean even the washington post um the the bezos post 
published a lot of really important articles uh, during the investigations into the war in Afghanistan. Well, we're scraping the bottom of the barrel here. Anyways, those animal crackers must be good. Um, yeah, so... I think in the current system, we do have definitely a toxic way by which information is exchanged. But I think maybe there is a chance to kind of maintain a level of impartiality, right? You're able to actually, you know, maybe critically examine certain issues without fear of political reprisal, which actually, as I'm saying it out loud, I think our system is totally morphed into something of the opposite of what was intended. I don't think we have. Do you think we have a free press right now? In the, in the current way things are organized? Uh, I mean, it depends on what you mean by free. I think, you know, you, I mean, look, you could start a, a news website right now, right? And like, you're free to post whatever you want on there. Now, you might not have a big audience, but, you know, that's in a broad sense, we have a free press. In practice, it's controlled by you know, a select few who dominate these, these media companies. Right. I think it's also important to note then who works at these media companies. Um, I read a great article, uh, I forgot where, but it was talking about the death of working class journalism, right? Where, let's say before Watergate, journalism was largely defined as a trade where you didn't have to go to a university to get a degree in journalism to work at your town paper you would, you know, look at the way Ernest Hemingway, Ernest Hemingway never had a college degree. He, you know, showed up to the Kansas City Star and, and he worked as a cub reporter. They trained him up and eventually he had enough, you know, stylistic knowledge to work as a reporter. After Watergate, journalism became like a glamorous profession, right? Where it was sort of attached, attached to this kind of like, almost like a symbolic figure of American truth and whatnot. And because of that, it started becoming a prestigious profession. All of a sudden, people going to Harvard, Yale, Georgetown, George Washington, were going to you know newly constructed journalism programs to go work at the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times. But what it created was kind of an imbalance in the market, where all of a sudden the people that are staffing these newspapers are from the same socioeconomic class as the individuals they're supposed to be holding accountable for how society should be organized in a democratic system, right? So I guess the ultimate question is, if somebody has a lot more in common with, let me rephrase that, if a reporter for the Washington Post has a lot more in common with the politician they're supposed to be investigating than they do with somebody who's reading the Post in a small town in Iowa, are they going to be accurately reflecting information? Are they, are they going to criticize their own socioeconomic class? And I think it is about class ultimately, because if you look at the, the prestigious credentials necessary to work at some of the top publications, you have to go to one of the big schools, right? But who can afford to pay fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year for a Columbia journalism degree while living in New York City? So, are are you advocating that we put a uh, a class limit? On <laughs> you can only hire two rich people. No, I I think there needs to be a way. And I'm not saying, I don't know enough about the media culture in the United States historically, right? But I think there needs to be a way to return towards a local level of media production. 
where it's not the New York Times that is seen as a source of ultimate truth, but a paper that exists within your community, right? And that might be the best so way. So you want to you want to localize truth, right? Insofar as truth exists, precisely. Which, you know, we're not talking about. No, no one has the objective truth, right? There is an objective truth about you know everything, right? But we don't really have access to that. Right. But you're saying by localizing it, it can be more relevant and more. Um, I don't know, just more balanced for, you know, someone in a given area, right? Like it, it can retain, it, it can be more like an authentic kind of presentation of, of reality insofar, that's, insofar as that's possible. Right. right? That's and, what you're and saying. Who else can present reality authentically than a source, a, a media outlet that exists within the reality it's reporting on? You know, if, if you look at major newspapers that existed in the Midwest historically, a lot of them are being shuttered or bought up by massive conglomerates. Um, and a lot of the local media that does exist, you know, maybe outside of TV stations, are these sorts of like con- nonprofit conglomerates that are being popped up in partnership with things like uh, Report for America and whatnot, right? But it, it's not the powerhouse that it used to be. And if you don't have outlets that are covering issues that are happening within an immediate community, yeah, you lose that kind of source of real truth, quote unquote, because. A New York or Washington based newspaper isn't going to have the resources or the real care to cover stories that are breaking on the ground in Montana. So let me ask you this from a human nature standpoint, is it possible for us to pay attention to local news more than we are going to the kind of like the, the national news? Because with the way things are trending, especially since the advent of the internet right. and social media, I mean, we're becoming less and less local. We're, yeah. Which, yeah, I get it. That's what you're saying. Like, that's part of the problem. Mm-hmm. But, 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 you know, that's the trend. Everything is gravitating towards, you know, the, 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 the most important political figures are like the Fed, you know, the, pre- the president and like, you yeah. know, senators, representatives, right. the most important you know, athletes are the most well-known athletes. Like they, you don't, you don't know anyone even locally, right? It's all about like, uh, the best basketball player is, you know, worldwide known. Like it, it's going to be like someone like LeBron James because the whole world is looking at the top of the top. Right. And for something like basketball, right. That's, that's like LeBron James in America because the American, you know, league is the best in the world. Right. And so it's the same with musicians. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it, it, it's I mean, it, it, it's always I mean, usually when it comes to like things like music and and uh, at least some sports, you know, it's, it's like the top American athlete. Right. In like baseball, basketball and soccer. Obviously, it's different. Uh, but uh, you, you get my point. Everything is gravitating towards. Right the top how do you how how do you how do you change that so that the landscape isn't like um you know a view of like egypt where you have just this pyramid and like the only focus is on the top of the pyramid how do you create a landscape of like smaller pyramids right right and and what you're saying makes perfect sense right that just the way that things are published on the internet it's always going to be at the highest level especially that's i mean from like a political standpoint 
almost all politics. What's what's the phrase? All politics are national at this point. Where even people running for state senate offices or or, or state house of representatives, they're going to be bringing up issues that are happening at a federal scale. I mean, look at how the, the parties have evolved at a state level where you're very much either pro or anti-Trump. I mean, you should be talking about filling potholes and fixing bridges in your communities, but you're gonna, you're talking about these national tier figures because that's how the, po- the political game has been shaped up. And I think that goes back to what you were originally talking about where because of how the media industry has, has evolved and how these algorithms work and how, you know, the, the, what generates profit it, because you know this this is uh it is a, it is a business to a certain extent and what makes money is going to be these stories that are breaking at the national level and until that changes i don't think we're going to be able to kind of shift our focus naturally to but the, is so do you have it backwards though is it because the so money's driving like the the focus or is it the people's focus is driving what the money is kind of um People's focus in certain subjects is what drives like the financial component, right? Because right. that they have to sell ads. So like, is it you know like which one is it, right? Maybe it's like a chicken and an egg situation, right? Or or maybe it's a it's just a self reinforcing loop, right? I guess the question is, do you think that people just aren't interested in what's happening in their communities? I think so. I think it's because if you think of okay, I'm gonna just say. Uh, I'm going to go back to the evolutionary kind of historical anthropological example of you're in a tribe of like 50 people, right? (laughs) Okay. If the, like the main, like you have a main tribe leader, that's kind of like the president of the tribe. Uh, and like my level of like research on this, like I, I could be full of shit right now. <laughs> but I think generally, like humans are hierarch- hier- hierarchical species, so you know there, there's usually one guy at the top, right? So for every every tribe, they're probably gonna have like a, a leader. Now you might have kind of like you know some additional sub leaders, right? And it'll be interesting to know like what happens between them. But at the end of the day. The biggest news is always going to be like, hey, our leader, right, our main leader decided like, you know, people, you know, th- this group is going to get less food next time there's a, there, there's a kill, right? Or these guys have to do something else to, uh, to justify their, uh, you know, belonging to the group, right. right? So like the biggest news comes from the top. So the focus is always going to be on the top, right? I mean, it just has to, it has to be that way. You would be, you would be kind of a dumb animal, right? If you didn't consider what the leader was saying and you were more focused on what someone at, kind of at your level was saying, right? Well, or, or, or so, someone who, who has little influence, right? If you're focusing on someone who has little influence, like you're kind of missing the picture here. You want to you want to listen to the most important person, right? I mean, I think that's a pretty like uncontroversial statement. I mean, that's why we evolved the way we did. That's I mean, that's the same way other primates function, right? Mm-hmm. 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 Uh, well, I mean, what if you look at it from a sense of being able to exert control, right? Very seldom 
at least maybe on a personal level, do I feel like I have any control over what happens at, let's call it like the national level of politics? No. The defense budget is what it is. You know, we, we are making a lot of choices in terms of how we intervene on a foreign level, what sorts of uh, alliances we're part of, what sorts of military conflicts we're supporting or not supporting. That all seems very much outside of the bounds of my immediate range of control. But what I do have control over is like the potholes on the street next to us or um, on which building codes are being approved for construction in the city. From an evolutionary standpoint, wouldn't I gravitate to something that I could immediately impact? That I could immediately use no, you, to, to address the quality of life that I no, have? No, no. I mean, it, there, there's a mismatch in the environments, right? So the evolutionary environment, the one under which we adapted and evolved, was a small community. So everything that you're kind of taking in, in terms of like, if you want to call it news, gossip, whatever... That's all relevant and actionable to you because the community is small enough. But in modern day societies, because there's such a massive mismatch between our environment, our, our ancestral environment and, mm -hmm. and the modern day environment, mm -hmm. um, you are still focusing on, you know, the top of the hierarchy right. as you should, you know, if the, if, if the group was small, the problem is... There's millions and billions of us. That's the problem. So I think it's very difficult to take the focus from the top to the, to the, to the, you know, closer to the bottom where it's more local. Um, may, is it an educational problem? Can we say, Hey, yeah, you know, we get it. Like, this is more interesting to pay attention to like presidential debates and all this stuff. Like it's, you know, it's like a reality show. Obviously it's, it's very interesting, but you're only going to have a real impact if you start, you know, kind of bottom up at the local level. That's where you can have real influence. Um, Did you have a local civics class when you were in school? No. Same. We, I think we had a couple of weeks of like state tier politics, but it was very, very limited. I think that's kind of ultimately speaking maybe the issue we're rubbing up against. But do you think that's enough? I mean, that's kind of the question I'm trying to pose to you. Like, is it just a matter of education or is this so intrinsic to human nature, this focus on the top of the hierarchy that even, you know, simply educating people out of it is not really a solution. Like, I mean, I mean, that, that, that's a question for many topics, right? Like, right, can right. you just educate your way out of the problem? Well, I think, I think we're focused on the top of the hierarchy let's call it the national level of things because that's what's being offered to us because we're not investing into building maybe habits to, to better, to try to seek out and understand the world that we immediately occupy. Right. I don't, I, I'd think that if there was a greater emphasis in the public school system on again, like learning about local politics, what it means to be, you know, a citizen of a city, and if there was a greater emphasis on this, there'd be more of an interest simply because you'd know what to look for. I think maybe we have a, you know, back to my point about control, maybe paradoxically, we feel maybe a greater sense of control over these national issues because we're fairly well informed on them. Even if we have limited, you know, critical thinking about certain issues, those are the issues we're thinking about the most, right? But I couldn't tell you how potholes get fixed or who I have to call to get a pothole fixed because nobody ever taught me. 
And maybe that's what the solution is to a certain extent, is that by incorporating that into the period of education everybody goes through, there will be a greater interest in learning more about how these issues are being influenced by the politics at the local or regional level. But, but then, you know, I mean, to follow up on that, like, are potholes ever going to be as interesting, right? Or that, that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, by nature, we like to compare human beings, right? I mean, this is in every domain when it comes to like, you know, uh, you're comparing like, you know, the, the, the woman you're with, with other women, you're, you're, you're friends with other friends, you're how much money you're making compared to other people. Like we're, we're a very comparative, comparative, uh, cause we're competitive. I think you're we're competitive, yeah. but we also, you know, therefore compare by, by our nature. And so if you're comparing the significance of local elections, say, versus mm -hmm. like national elections, I mean, yes, you know, you can argue like local elections are more relevant to you, but if your world, instead of being a small tribe, right, in, you know, some region in West Africa is actually the entire world with billions of people, and you're in the country, for example, that's the most powerful in the world, the USA, arguably, um, are you not going to focus on the more significant thing, which is the federal election, right? Like, and I imagine the federal election in the USA still makes headlines in Ethiopia on a regular basis. I think that the fact that it's kind of like a, a superpower trap that we fall into because, I mean, it's changing. I think that the, not to get into like deep geopolitics, but I think that we're witnessing the, retraction of kind of complete U.S. domination on the global stage. Um, but everybody talks about the U.S. Everybody's interested in what happens in the U.S. A presidential elections in the U.S. become monumental for all countries to follow and track. And maybe in a way that kind of trickles down to how we think about it too, right? Of course we're going to be looking at these things because that's what everybody's looking at. And maybe that's the evolutionary piece of it, where it's kind of a self-perpetuating loop in the sense of this is what we follow because that's what everybody follows. But then you can ask, like, why did it, people start following that? Because I think you have something that you can ultimately speak and connect with somebody on. Because if you only focus on your own local issues, if we just only exclusively like, consume media that was for this city, then how would we find ways to interact with people who are from other cities? So you're proposing that as we became um, less localized and more... Um, kind of international, not just international. I mean, like uh, things, things became more uh, nationalized. Um, people started to meet and travel. Mm -hmm. People from other areas. Right. This desire or utility of like having knowledge about a common thing, right? At a higher level, uh, became more relevant and yeah. desirable. I, I mean, that's interesting. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, it's not like we follow the news closely of what's happening in Spain or, you know, in other countries. But Well, they don't have influence, right? They don't have the same level of influence, I mean, as the U.S. So, like, if you have limited time, like, why would you follow Spanish politics? Well, we don't follow politics in China either. China's quite an influential country. That's a really good point. Um, I don't know. I don't have the evolutionary expertise to go
go back in uh, time and maybe it's also a question of language access, right? Where English is still the lingua franca. Most people, mo most people still uh, study English as a second language in, the, in their schools, so they can access English language information easily. Mandarin or Cantonese aren't quite. I mean, I suspect in the future they probably will become more relevant languages on a global scale. But it's easier to access information coming out of the U.S., especially if you speak English. What, what if we just have room for only, like, the most influential piece of information in a given, like, category, right? Uh, or, like, that's, that's really where, what we care about. Because just, like, the news. It, yeah, I mean, like, we don't follow Chinese politics to the same extent, but China is still a relevant... Yeah. Like, I mean, it's, it's a relevant point of discussion, like, you know, in presidential elections. Like, you know, it, it's not, like... We ignore it. And if, it's there, just, if there were an earthquake in China tomorrow, that would still be front page news because China is such a major you know, economic force and it would impact everybody in that sense. Right. If, if in the same, you know, same if there was some huge economic development in China or they had some massive change in relations between Russia or mm -hmm. something. So, I mean, we, we do follow them to a certain extent, but yeah, it's significantly less than, than, uh, than U.S. politics. Which is, uh, who knows? Maybe, maybe we should just follow Chinese politics, given how toxic uh, U.S. US politics yeah. are. <laughs> Do you think it's more or less toxic down there? I think it's the, it's a human thing. I think China has its own toxic political bullshit they deal with. Universal. We're we're not a unique brand. We're not unique. Guess. I'm not unique. You don't even exist, man. <laughs> Don't tell me that, man. You know what that does to me. Don't don't get this beautiful mind spinning. <laughs> Is this our cue? I think it's our cue. I think the brain's been fried. Yeah, well, I hope everyone has uh, enjoyed this episode. It's a little bit of a kind of a a rough one, I guess, in some ways. Going back to our roots. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So everybody, have a good one. Or something. How do you end podcasts? I think you just end them. Like I just click this record button. That's it. Three, two, one, and death. <laughs>